You're listening to a resource from Jamboree Anglican Church. So let me lead us in prayer. Gracious, loving Father, what a joy it is to know that you are there and you are not silent. <laughs> we thank you, Father, that you are in control of absolutely everything. And especially as we see so much in our world spiralling out of control, we know you're in control and we trust in you. Help us to have this on our hearts today as we come to your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, certainly one of the most popular types of Hollywood films is the disaster movie. We get entertained, strangely enough, seeing people suffer through alien attacks or earthquakes or even pandemics because disaster is compelling to watch. But it's particularly the case when it's real and it's live and the horror movie is right there on my TV. During natural disasters or war, we just can't get enough of the 24-7 news. But we like the Hollywood ones because we know that they're always going to end up in a positive ending so that the hero survives or even though a couple of peripheral characters might get it, but we know that the good people will hang around and there'll be joy as you walk out and other people will come and take your seats in the cinema and they clean up the popcorn. You know, That's kind of how we see disaster movies. We're seeing a bit of a disaster movie today in Revelation chapter 15 and 16. And I think it's something that exceeds even the most remarkable imaginations that we find from the scriptwriters in Hollywood. How should we respond to the disasters that will unfold before us here in the pages of Revelation? Well, it depends really on whether you're on Jesus' team or not. If you are friends with Jesus, you will be spared the disaster. It's that simple. But if you're not yet friends with Jesus, then you and others in your situation will cop the disaster and the destruction right in the face. It's a fairly sober way to begin, but it is the theme that I want you to have in your mind as you look at these words this morning with us. The book of Revelation is written in a strange style. It's strange to us. It's called apocalyptic. It wasn't that strange to the people who were of God's people in the first century. It's kind of encoded so that if the book got in the wrong hands, it wouldn't give away all the secrets. It's got things like numbers and animals and colours and symbols. And we're going to see plenty of that today as well. And it's written to these first century Christians who were under extreme attack because of their faith. And God wrote it for them by the Holy Spirit so that they would stay true to Jesus, even if it led them to death. And it's to help them to stay faithful by giving them a description of heaven that blows their mind. And the view we're seeing today is from the perspective of destruction. We're seeing things from the perspective of destruction The last couple of weeks, we've had four different views of reality, and each of them has had a set of seven different things. The first week, we had the view of tyranny, then we had the view of chaos, then we had the view of persecution, and the fourth view today is seeing history through the view, the perspective of destruction. As I gave the analogy over the last few weeks, it's a little bit like seeing the entire car race four different times from four different angles, maybe from the side, from the top on a helicopter, from the inside the car and all those things. We're looking at a fourth camera angle and seeing it all through the perspective of destruction. 
And I'm hoping that as you see this, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to find peace and comfort and hope. And I'm hoping that if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you will wake up to the need to come to him. And you will see what is coming to you. I didn't make this up. It's what the Lord has revealed. And I'm praying this morning that on your heart, the Lord would move you to make sure that you've done business with him before you die or before Jesus comes. Well, uh, how does this all work? Uh, It's sometimes useful with the book of Revelation for me to give you a a kind of a bird's eye view, like a 60 second summary of what's coming. So it all makes sense when I get to it. Uh, Quite simply, it begins off with God's people standing safely on the shore, singing a song of salvation. Then heaven opens up and seven angels come out and they throw down to the earth seven um, uh, kind of um, bowls of anger, which is the, the plagues and stuff. Seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. But just before the seventh one, all the superpowers come together to have a big war against God. And then the number seven comes out and boom, wipes them out. So, you know, you could probably switch off and, and watch some Netflix now. Oh, no, don't do that. I'm only joking. But uh, that's the executive summary right there. The, uh, as the cool kids say today, the TLDR, too long didn't read, or maybe the too long didn't listen. But listen in. It's worth listening. This is a, a gripping tale. And I hope you'll, you'll see in all of this, the bottom line of all of this is, if you're on God's side, you're a winner. <laughs> it's that simple. If you're on God's side, you're a winner. And if you're not on God's side, well... You'll see what happens. Be on God's side, hey? Well, let's have a look here and see how it begins. It begins with Revelation 15, verse 1. Then I saw in heaven another marvellous event of great significance. Seven angels were holding the seven last plagues, which would bring God's wrath to completion. Seven angels, seven plagues, another set of seven things. And the point in this is it's all about God's wrath. We don't use the word wrath that much in modern English, but you could exchange the word wrath for anger. It, it, but just basically we see here in the whole section of the Bible today is that God is angry at people who reject him. It's a righteous anger. It, it's, it's not a selfish outburst like a toddler might have with a tantrum. It's sort of the anger you feel when you see an innocent person bullied. It's the kind of anger that a lot of people have experienced over this last week, especially in the United States of America, as they've seen someone be killed by a police officer. And the anger that has come up is extraordinary. And you can see that it is righteous in so many ways for that injustice. In heaven, we see this anger is about to be poured out, but it's not everywhere that this anger will be received. Because we see in verse 2, that I saw before me what seemed to be a glass sea mixed with fire, and on it stood all the people who had been victorious over the beast and his statue, and the number representing his name. They were all holding harps that God had given them. Before God's anger is poured out, uh, we see the people who are there who are all safe from his wrath. They're safe from his anger. And they're they're there safely on the banks of a glass sea that is mixed with fire. Uh, It's kind of like the time of the Exodus where they've passed safely through the waters of anger and they have made it safely to the other side. And they are safe because it says that they have been victorious. Uh, It's not like they were 
pretty clever or strong swimmers or they're victorious we know because they were victorious over the beast and his statue and the number representing his name we, we learned all about that last week but they were ultimately they were faithful to Christ when they were threatened see there was some sort of economic persecution in the first century uh, we don't know all the details but it seems that unless you had the mark on your wrist and your forehead they wouldn't let you go in and shop and get stuff and you were actually persecuted if you did not bear on your body the mark of the beast and the beast it seems was one of the great rulers of Rome at the time and so the persecution was great Christians had to choose what they would do would they bear the mark on the wrist and the forehead of the beast and show their allegiance and worship to him? Or would they show that they were, had a full allegiance to Jesus by not having on their wrist and forehead the mark of the beast? Now, this code here made a whole lot of sense to them in the first century. We're just having to have a bit of a guess. But we do know that they had to make a big, big choice. And you can see that. We don't need to make that big, big choice in Australia. The Prime Minister, the Premier, the Mayor, the local police officers are not saying to us, you need to worship us instead of Jesus. No, that's not the case at all. We are allowed to worship Jesus with our whole heart, which is wonderful. But in this society, this was written, they had to make a choice. And that was what was so hard for them, because when they didn't serve the Emperor, many of them were put to death. And so there they are now. They've made it safely through to the other side. And what do they do as they have been saved? Well, we read verse 3. And they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. What did they do? They sang. See, when you're saved, you want to sing. It's kind of like a hooray and a woohoo, and then you sing it out. When you are saved, you sing. And I've got to say, this is one of the hard things about the next era of life in church in modern day Australia. Uh, see, it, we've been told that the health guidelines say that when we do come back together in larger number from next week, we're not allowed to have congregational singing. I've got to say, when I heard that, I, my heart sank uh, because it is what we do. We love to sing. <coughs> But we also need to realise that at this time, that if we are going to come together and the health authorities are going to let us do that, uh, we need to be showing that we're a COVID-safe environment. And that means that, at least for now, the science is that when you sing, the droplets go up to three metres from your breath, maybe even further. And so we're going to have a church where they'll be singing from the front, but in our congregation, you're going to need to listen and um, and reflect upon the words. It's a, it's a different era, really, in the, for a, the next little while. Uh, it's not the best, but we can still hear it together and we can have that sense of having them as our words, our song, our singing together. We're doing that uh, because we are loving others. We're sacrificing something we love to do because we want to see that we can come together and be safe for those who are physically weak. We want to get this virus out of Australia. And we want to do that so that we can then come together and not have to have these restrictions. But in the meantime, that's what we've got to do. But you can see why it's hard, because when you're saved, you sing. And God's people here are singing, and they're singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Now, there's two events there they're referring to. There's the song of Moses, which is talking all about how they were redeemed from Egypt at the time of the Exodus. 
It's just sort of the Old Testament way of singing because that's what they sang about all the time in the Psalms. Have you noticed that? Over and over again, it talks about the Exodus and the, the horse and rider thrown into the sea and all that stuff. But then when you get to the New Testament, you sing about the Lamb. All God's people sing about the Lamb on the throne, the one who has been slain for us. So you've got all God's people there, Old Testament, New Testament, as one singing this song together, the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. And they're singing these words. Great and marvellous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. They are singing songs about what God has done. Now, look, it's okay to say, Lord, you make me feel this, or I feel this. That's okay. But really, the main thing we want to do when we come together is say, God, you are amazing. All these things you've done for us are incredible. Let's remind each other how good they are. That's why we keep singing songs about Easter. We've got to keep singing songs about Easter. You think, well, why don't we sing other songs? Why don't we sing songs about what God's done in Jamboree over the last two years as people have come to Christ? And why don't we sing about, well, we kind of do in a little way, not a specific song about that topic, but songwriters, you might want to come together and do something for us. But the point is we keep referring to what the greatest moment was of salvation, and that is the cross. And so we will sing of the power of the cross. In fact, we'll do that immediately after the talk in just a moment. But not only do we talk about God's acts, We talk about his character. And so we see in the next verse where it says, Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. They talk about the justice of Jesus and how life with him is fully true and fully fair. When Jesus hands out a punishment, it is 100% fair. It's not like we can say, Jesus, you overreacted there. You lost your temper and you were far too angry. At the same time, we can't say, well, Jesus, I just felt a bit like an empty feeling in my stomach because you've let these people get away with it and, and justice has not been served. Neither of those two extremes affect uh, are, are true of Jesus. He is 100% just and 100% true. And then they ask a question in their song. Verse 4, it says, Who will not fear you and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. Now, it's, this whole song here is, is picking up some themes from the Old Testament as well. But as they're singing this, it's kind of a funny question. It's like, well, who on earth would not fear the Lord when you know who he is? Why would you not glorify God's name? Because he's holy, of course. The sad fact is that there are many people who do not fear the Lord, who do not glorify his name. And why would you do that? I think it's, it's another testament to the power of the devil in our world. See, the devil is very, very clever. He likes us to think about him doing these things where you've got kind of the exorcism and the spinning heads and the red eyes and all this kind of stuff and the, the Ouija boards and things. Uh, that's just a little side thing for him. His big thing is to make us doubt that following Jesus is good. That's his main thing. It's to turn everything around. Ever heard someone say, you know, I reckon I want to go to heaven... And I want to make sure I flee hell. But I don't want to have a life that's boring. So why? I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll keep being a non-Christian all my life. And then when I'm old, just before I die, I'll switch over to the winning side and I'll sail into heaven. Because then I'll get the best of both worlds. Well, I want to tell you why that's stupid. Because firstly, you don't know for a second when it is that you're going to die. You can't be guaranteed that you'll click over 80 years and then you'll say, okay, time to become a Christian. What's the local church like? And likewise, 
This whole idea that if you live a life without Jesus, that it's better, that is utter rubbish. Don't believe it for a second. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. You think it was easy for these people in the first century, knowing that if they follow Jesus, if they refuse to have the mark of the beast on their wrist and their forehead, that it's going to be all beer and skittle, that it's all going to be hip, hip, hooray? No, they are going to die. Their loved ones are going to die. It's going to be absolutely horrible. But it will be the best. We don't have that kind of persecution here in Australia, nothing like it really. And it can be hard to follow Jesus. But don't think for a second you're going to miss out. And don't let that be the excuse today, thinking, oh, wow, okay, disaster's coming if I don't follow Jesus. Okay, make a mental note, write it in my diary, 10 years' time, become a Christian. Don't do that. You're a fool if you do that. Come to Jesus this morning, and I'm going to tell you how to do that in just a little while. Because the best life comes from following Jesus. Make no mistake, the very best life. I didn't say the easiest life. I didn't say the nicest life, but it is the best life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and live it to the full. Believe that to be true. Well, not only are the people in Israel the ones who are gathered together, we read in the last verse of this song that all nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. Everyone, even in Australia, we come to the Lord Jesus Christ and we'll be gathered there on that sea of the bank of the sea there, the flat icy sea that's full of fire. We are safely on the other side. All nations have come together. Well, with all of that, the song finishes and now we see the temple in heaven, the very epicenter of the presence of God right there. And it's opened up. And we read in verse 6 that the seven angels who were holding the seven plagues came out of the temple. They were clothed in spotless white linen with gold sashes across their chests. God has sent out seven special messengers from the very hub of his presence. They are white, which means they're pure and they're victorious. And they've got this gold sash, which means that they rule with him. And he sent them out for a special purpose. We read then verse 7 that one of the four living beings handed each of the seven angels a gold bowl filled with the anger, the wrath of God. God who lives forever and ever. God's anger is now given to these seven angels. And you've got to see here, God is in control of everything. He's totally in control of everything. All of the horrible things we're about to see here, God is behind them. God is in control of them. Don't think in anything in life that God's looking down and going, oops. Or, you know, well, there were a couple of options there. I guess that was my least preferred option. But anyway, I guess it'll all pan out in the end. No. God is completely in control. Friends, that's why you've got to keep praying. Don't for a second think, well, I'll pray if God's able to do anything. Don't believe that. That's another lie of the devil. The Lord created everything with a word. And he rules everything, every single minor detail. Believe it and it will change your prayer life, promise you. God's in control of everything. And then we read verse 8, that the temple was filled with smoke from God's glory and power. No one could enter the temple until the seven angels had completed pouring out the seven plagues. God's anger is now visible and, and you can smell it. It's a bit like when we talk about someone, how they were so angry that they had smoke coming out of their ears. Well, it's kind of a bit like that. But it's literal smoke here in this vision. And right here, we see that you can't get back into the presence of God until all of those, those different things have happened. All of the justice has been brought out. And so, chapter 16, verse 1, we read that, I then heard a mighty voice from the temple 
Say to the seven angels, go your ways and pour out on the earth the seven bowls containing God's wrath. Now it begins. God commands the angels to send out his anger onto the earth. He tells them to bring destruction. There's seven of them. Remember I told you that before? This is what the second chapter is about. One, two, three, four, five, six. Then a battle gets ready and then seven. Here's the first one. The first angel left the temple and poured out his bowl on the earth and horrible malignant sores broke out on everyone who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. The anger of God is poured out and it brings horrible sores on all the people who chose to worship the beast instead of Jesus. They made a choice. It's not like they said, oh, I was forced to do it. No, they chose to worship the beast and to reject Jesus. And this is what's coming to them. They worship the fake, not the real saviour, the Lord Jesus. This was an event that happened 2,000 years ago, of course. Can you see that? That, that, that was what the, the, the beast and the wrist and all that stuff's talking about. But it applies equally to us today, right now in modern-day Jamboree. Uh, we need to see that there are all sorts of ways that we can be tempted to, to follow the things of creation. Like some people give it their whole heart. Christians, I, I think we, we, we worship the Lord Jesus, but, but we're still drawn in to, to have idols in the world, which we, we've got to f- keep ourselves from. You know, an idol is basically just anything that gets in the way of our happiness. You know, if, 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 you, if you stop, if, if, it, it, we, if someone says, you know, you're not allowed to go on international holidays anymore, you think, oh, I'm deeply upset by that. Why? Well, maybe you idolise it a bit. Or, or maybe I can't go out to the, the cafe anymore. Or, you know, I mean, there's, there are some things that, that you can say, well, I'm actually finding my joy and happiness in that. These people had their complete joy and happiness in the things of the world, and they'd rejected Jesus. There's no place, friends, for more than one ultimate ruler. You've either got to serve Jesus or you've got to serve yourself. As a great poet of the 1960s said, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Then verse 3. The second angel poured out this bowl on the sea and it became like the blood of a corpse and everything in the sea died. Everything turns to blood. That's the second one. Then the third one, we read, the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs and they became blood. So it's not just the oceans. Imagine that you go down to the, the farm and, you, you know, um, or the Kaima and, and check out in the ocean and it's red and everything's dead. And then you, you see the Minamara River and Hyams Creek and you drive up the top and you see all the different reservoirs up there and, and you see them all red and dead and all the water's dead. This is what it looks like. It seems a bit over the top, doesn't it, really? Why would God pour out that much anger? Well, this is what one of the angels says, verse 5 and 6. I heard the angel who had authority over all water. This is the water angel. John's hearing him say this. You are just, O Holy One, who is and who always was, because you have sent these judgments since they shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets. You have given them blood to drink. It is their just reward. You notice how many times the word just appears there? Uh, we often will say, you know, I, I'll be just five minutes. Or, oh, well, that's, that, oh, that's just enough milk in my, my tea, you know. Just, or oh, just, just, oh, just, just, just. No, no, no. It's talking about justice. When someone is just, 
it's talking about justice. And we are saying, hearing here that the angel says, Lord, no, 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 you are just. You are full of justice. You get the decisions 100% right and the punishments are 100% right. God hands out perfect justice. He's not over the top. It's not undercooked. It's right on the money. Then another person says the same thing. Verse 7, I heard a voice from the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, your judgments are true and just. And now we move to number 4. Verse 8, The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, causing it to scorch everyone with its fire. Everyone was burned by this blast of heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over all these plagues. They did not repent of their sins and turn to God and give him glory. The fourth bowl is poured out and the sun burns everyone. It's terrifying really, isn't it? And how do the people respond? They curse God. They say, there is a God. I know there's a God and look what he's done to us. I hate you, God. I curse you, God. It's strange, isn't it? They actually could have said, wow, everything that people have said about the power and anger of God is true. I need to escape it. I'm sorry, God, that I've done this. I'm sorry that I've lived my life ruling myself. I repent of that and I come to you and I'm really, really sorry. Will you forgive me? Will you save me? Will you protect me? But no. Just like Pharaoh back in Egypt see these horrible things and their hearts are hardened and they won't do it. They recognised God's power, but they didn't repent. They recognised God's power, but they didn't repent. They couldn't bring themselves to admit that they were wrong to ignore Jesus. They couldn't admit to themselves that they'd made a mistake by following themselves and not God. And so they cursed him instead. I, you know, is that you still? Because I'm talking to you right now. If you have rejected God, you are going to have the most horrible thing coming to you. But you can find mercy. You can find salvation. And it's so simple. You need to turn to Jesus and say, I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? I want you to be my king, not myself. And he will say, come to me. And he will say, I forgive you. Well, next we get to number five, verse 10. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. His subjects ground their teeth in anguish and they cursed the God of heaven for their pains and sores. But they did not repent of their evil deeds and they did not turn to God. Same thing happens. But the wrath is actually poured down upon the throne of the evil beast. It's more specific now. It's upon that ruler who said, worship me instead of Jesus. And the anger is right focused on their throne. Then we get the number six. It's related to that. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River and it dried up so that the kings from the east could march their armies towards the west without hindrance. Uh, They had a river, the Euphrates River, this big river that provided a natural barrier between them and their enemies. And it was kind of like they had this strong defence shield right there along the side of their nation. And what happened? The Lord said, I'm sorry, that's going. He dried it up and anyone could cross straight in and attack them. They were 
proud of their strength. But now this barrier has been brought down by the Lord as part of his punishment for them. But it doesn't stop the rulers thinking that they are the ones who are more powerful than Jesus. It's just strange, isn't it? You'd think at this stage, after all of these horrible things, they'd say, you know, maybe I'm not God. (laughs) No. They, in fact, come together and say, let's work together this kind of satanic cabinet and we will stand before the Lord and beat him. What would make them so stupid to think that? Well, it is satanic. Verses uh, 13 to 14. And I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs leap from the mouths of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. They are demonic spirits who work miracles and go out to all the rulers of the world to gather them for battle against the Lord on that great judgment day of God the Almighty. See, the evil rulers that persecuted Christians, they still think they can stand up against Jesus. How stupid, how arrogant, how foolish. What would make them so dumb? Satan. He is the one who has deceived them. It's just right here in black and white. They think that they can have a battle against Jesus. Well, good luck with that. And before anything goes on, it's almost like there's a, there's a break in the transmission. You know when you're watching something and then static goes on the screen? Well, at least in the old days it used to. And then, and then we interrupt this transmission for an important announcement. And that's what we get now. We read in verse 15, Look, Jesus says, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all who are watching for me, who keep their clothing ready so that they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. He gives us a message to say, you have got to be ready for when I come back because it's happening any moment. Uh, It's very consistent with what he's said time and time again. It's what the Apostle Paul has mentioned. It's what the Apostle John has mentioned in his other letters. It's a consistent message. But part of that is be ready. And the other part is don't guess when Jesus is returning. See, it's really tempting as we have a look at the news cycle at the moment and think, well, first we've got the pandemic. Well, actually, we'll go back a bit before. We've got, we've got the bushfires, we've got the floods, we've got the drought before that, and then we've got the pandemic, and now we've got the riots in the US, and what else is happening? We've got also the locust plague that's horrible over in East Africa. We've got all of these things that are happening. This must be the time when Jesus is going to return. That might be, might be the very case. And in fact, it's one of the reasons I was encouraged and motivated to speak on the book of Revelation, because it really it's a wake up call, isn't it? But Jesus is going to surprise us. I wonder whether it's going to be in five years time that that we have a have created ourselves this great tower of Babel called the vaccine of COVID-19. And we ourselves in our own strength have been able to come together with the smartest minds and distributed it out to all the people. And now we have killed this beastly virus. And look at us. We are more prosperous than ever before. We are more united than ever before. And we are one and we are God. And Jesus comes back then. Or maybe it's none of those times. The point is, don't keep looking to the skies and saying, where is he? No, 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 don't do that. Just get ready anytime. Keep your bags packed. I I think it's kind of like that. It's a a cute little phrase. He says, um, who keep their clothing ready so they'll not have to walk around naked and ashamed. 
Now, you don't want to be that kind of person who, who locks themselves out of the hotel room with no clothes on. And it's kind of like that sort of that picture there. Uh, you don't want to be sprung when Jesus returns. Be ready. Have your bags packed. It was like at the bushfires. We actually had a grab bag at the front door ready to go at the moment we needed to be evacuated. That's what the Christian life needs to be like. Be ready. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to be ready for him. And that message finishes and the static comes on the screen and we go back to the action. And we see what these bonehead rulers have come together to do as they stand up before God. We read in verse 16 that the demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place with the Hebrew name Armageddon. Ever heard of Armageddon before in horror movies and disaster movies? Yeah, this is where it comes from. It's from most likely from the Hebrew, two Hebrew words, Ha, which means mountain, and Megiddo, which is a place in Israel, modern-day Israel. Mandy and I went and had a look at it a couple of years ago. It's a fairly unimpressive place, actually. It's about a, it's a bit of a, a hill, really, and they've found some fascinating archaeological things in it. But it was very significant, and it's been a very common place of war in that area because it's right in the point where there are highways that meet. There's the east-west highway. So if you want to get from where the Mediterranean Sea is to the inland, you've got to basically go through Megiddo. And then you want to go north and south. Well, there's the big inland plain there. You, you kind of go up and down through Megiddo. If you can control Megiddo, you can control all the action. And that's why they fought about it. And so it's sort of like saying there's this big battle and it's going to go to the place where battles are always fought. Megiddo or Ha Megiddo or Ah Megiddon. That's what we've got here. And at this point, they are ready for this massive battle. And what are they going to do? Well, now we get number seven. We read in verse 17 that the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a mighty shout came from the throne in the temple saying, it is finished. Right from the very heart of the universe, the words come out, it is finished. Can you think of another time in the Bible when we've heard those words on someone's lips? Jesus, as he was hanging on the cross, when he tasted, he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and released his spirit. The first time Jesus was declaring the moment of ultimate salvation as he hung on the cross. Justice was put upon his shoulders. The justice judgment that we deserved but the second time Jesus is declaring the moment of ultimate judgment and that's what we see here and the seventh bowl gets poured out and he can say it is finished that is the end of the destruction and so verse 18 the thunder crashed and rolled and the lightning flashed and a great earthquake struck the worst since people were placed on the earth the final bowl of judgment is poured out and catastrophic disaster comes on the world. And all of the focus of that begins at one point. Verse 19, the great city of Babylon split into three sections and the cities of many nations fell into heaps of rubble. So God remembered all of Babylon's sins and he made her drink the cup that was filled with the wine of his fierce wrath. Babylon stands as the epitome of the evil city, the satanic city, the city that stood against Jerusalem. It is the very hub 
of satanic individual independence against God. And so in his final bowl of wrath, it hits the epicenter of Babylon. And Babylon is destroyed. Rubble. Utter destruction. Babylon is the focus of God's judgment. It's the city that stood against God. And all of the sins, they were punished there upon them. They took them upon their own shoulders. And the chapter ends with just a little bit more detail about this destruction, saying that every island disappeared and all the mountains were leveled. There was a terrible hailstorm and hailstones weighing as much as 75 pounds fell from the sky onto the people below. They cursed God because of the terrible plague of the hailstorm. It's terrible judgment. But there's no repentance, only cursing. See, in all of this, judgment is poured out on the enemies of Jesus and their destruction is complete. And it seems pretty full on, doesn't it? But friends, justice matters. Justice really, really matters. Right now, rioting is escalating around the US. And it all came from the murder of George Floyd in Minnesota by a police officer. I found out that George Floyd was a man who loved Jesus. And he went around telling people about how they should follow the Lord Jesus as well. And he went around in the really hard parts of originally of, of, uh, of Houston before he was transferred later on into Minnesota. Um, here are some quotes about him that was in an article in Christianity Today this week. It says that George was, quote, a person of peace sent from the Lord that helped the gospel go forward. Another person said of George, quote, the things that he would say to young men always reference that God trumps street culture. I think he wanted to see young men put guns down and have Jesus instead of the streets, end quote. He was loved by so many people because he brought them Jesus. But now he's dead and the US is spinning into chaos. Pastor Nuolo also knew George Floyd and he had a long tweet during the week to reflect on his death. He talked about the blood of Abel, who was killed by his brother Cain. And then he went on to say this, quote, If you fast forward from Abel 2,000 years, there's another innocent sufferer whose blood spoke of better things than Abel's. Jesus' blood says he can redeem us through these dark and perilous times, Noello said. I have hope because just like Abel is a Christ figure, I see my brother Floyd as a Christ figure as well, pointing us to a greater reality. God does hear us. He hears his cry even from the ground now. Vengeance will either happen on the cross or will happen on judgment day. End quote. Did you hear that? This is really important. The last thing he said. Vengeance will either happen on the cross or it will happen on judgment day. They are the choices. So you can, choice, you can make the choice today to choose to have Jesus take your punishment upon the cross, upon his shoulders. So the punishment is taken off your shoulders and placed upon him. Vengeance can happen at the cross. 
Or you can say, nah, look, you know, I think I'll be right. I don't really want to worship anyone else. I reckon I'd like to just be self-sufficient if you don't mind. And you will have God's vengeance on you on Judgment Day. And the anger that we have seen here today, will cop, you will cop it right between the eyes. This is your warning from God today. Don't walk away thinking, I'll be right. You won't. You need to repent. And there's no better day to do it than today. Trust me. You need to get right with God before it's too late. And here's a prayer that you could pray that will do just that. Let me read it to you first. I, I, want to, I want everybody who hasn't followed Jesus, who's watching this live stream, to pray this right now. It says, Dear Jesus, I am sorry I have rejected your loving rule. Thank you for taking my punishment at the cross. Please help me to worship you all my days. Amen. It's a short little prayer. But, you know, if you pray to prayer something like that, I mean, why don't you pray these actual words? But if you pray a prayer like that, you're saying to God, I'm not going to be king anymore. I want you to be king. And you're saying, God, I'm sorry. And I want you to take upon your son's shoulders the vengeance that I deserve. Would you pray that prayer? Pray it out loud right now. You might be sitting on the couch next to someone who, you know, they're a follower of Jesus and... You're not really a follower of Jesus yet and you're feeling a bit awkward about it. Do you really? Does awkward matter right now? Just pray it out loud. Pray it to God and be right with God right now. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I am sorry I have rejected your loving rule. Thank you for taking my punishment at the cross. Please help me to worship you all my days. Amen. (coughs) Friends, if you're not sure if you were friends with God before, if you've prayed that prayer, then you can be sure you are. And that whenever Jesus returns, you will not be left naked. You will be clothed in his righteousness. You will be safe in the hands of Jesus. You will be with those of us who have already come to Christ, gathering together, singing these words of salvation. Great and marvellous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. Amen to that. Thank you for listening to this resource from Jembrew Anglican Church. For more information, head to jembrewanglican.com.